This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and just a reminder, you can listen to this on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. Today, I have a potentially another way out there uh, idea of what we could probably learn or what I feel we could probably learn uh, as a profession from really of all <laughs> of all things, pickpockets and magicians. Yeah, it's true. I, I said pickpockets and magicians that I think there's some lessons that could be learned from what they do to entertain us or in in the case of the pickpockets, at least uh, take things from us. The idea really came from some research I was doing on addiction, uh, substance use um, disorder. If you've been listening to a couple of earlier episodes, um, both on this podcast, on the uh, Remarkable Results Radio podcast with Carm Capriota, and then even the uh, Automotive Diagnostic podcast with Sean Tipping, the ones I'm involved with, you might notice a pattern of my interests. I mean, not only are they fairly wide, as I suspect most people's are, but one underlying drive for me is even from a very young age, is learning how things work. Like what's really going on? And when you're young, you know, it's whatever books in the section that you're capable of reading and hoping to comprehend or comprehend. And then school. And I think we kind of all learn the hard way that a lot of what we learn in school isn't necessarily accurate. A lot of it is kind of really, for lack of a better term, dumbed down for us. And there's practicality to that, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that we really don't need to know the uh, fundamental nature of how something works or what's really going on. We just need a practical uh, and applicable idea of what's going on. And And that suffices. And then depending on our chosen fields or interests, then that's when we do the deep dives. That's when we hopefully learn what's really going on. And one of those things for me was learning about addiction uh, and uh, trying to be better about using the term substance use disorder, using that instead of addiction. Uh, I'm married to uh, a woman in long-term recovery with an opioid addiction, and I needed to learn more about what was going on because the stuff I had learned in school in just watching TV, watching movies ends up wildly inaccurate. So it sends me on this path journey really uh, of discovery. And during that, during that research to kind of fast forward a little more to get to the point of all this is uh, studying the, the brain and the addictive portions of the brain and how we act In many cases, it's like an evolutionary biological drive. Things that really make us what we are, not just human beings, but really allow us to be the dominant species on the planet. Uh, Also have repercussions and 
they don't necessarily fit in current society, the way the world operates and is now. Many of these things we have that allowed us to reach this point no longer fit. One of those things is uh, coping mechanisms. Another thing is, uh, of all things, it leads into attention. And that's kind of where this goes is I bumped into this a couple of times listening to magicians and pickpockets talking about what they do and how they manipulate us and manipulate our world, honestly, or how our perception of what they're doing. And there's deception to it. There's also a lot of knowledge on their part about how our brains work. And the big thing that uh, really comes up often is our attention. How many of you would qualify yourselves as excellent multitaskers? My knee-jerk reaction is a lot of people, maybe most of you are saying, yeah, I'm pretty good at multitasking. And maybe some of you even think you're brilliant multitaskers. You can keep a lot of plates spinning at one time. I am a self-professed horrible multitasker. I do not multitask well at all. I focus. It's really one thing at a a time. Uh, If you try to get a lot of things going on for me, then I will just shut a bunch of it out and focus on whatever is interesting to me or interests me or what I need to get done. And you could... Maybe on a future show, maybe we'll have uh, my wife and kids on to discuss dealing with me at home and trying to get my attention if I am focused on something. It doesn't happen. Even at work, it's a point of contention. And honestly, bringing this up isn't anything about me specifically. It's just, I think, how attention works that there's been a lot of hard feelings. A lot of times where Uh, I've had to been pulled aside and people think that I'm upset with them, I'm ignoring them, uh, whatnot, when really it's just I'm focused on what I'm doing and therefore you no longer exist. Uh, If I'm focused on a problem, if I'm focused on a car, focused on the scan tool, focused on a scope, focused on a test, focused on service information, and you're trying to talk to me, you might as well not even be there. You, in my world, aren't there. You have to work to get my attention, drag my attention away from what I'm working on and thus paying attention to you. And it turns out that might be a slightly amplified version than a lot of people. But the reality is, is we only really focus on one thing at a time. We can only focus on one thing at a time. And if we factor in sight a little bit, like, you know, sight with our eyes, We also realize that our point of focus, like our visual focus is really small. It's like a very narrow spotlight. And that is something that magicians, pickpockets in this case, or, you know, as well as in this case, they take advantage of that. And they are going to have you looking at something. So when they're telling you to look at something, pay attention to something, look at this, they're intentionally driving your focus there so that they can do something else or that they can change certain parameters of what's coming to affect the outcome. 
and thus either con us, uh, which I don't necessarily mean in a totally negative manner. In the case of a pickpocket, yeah, okay, they're going to be taking our wallets, our cell phones, uh, something of value from our person. And in the case of magicians is they're going to mess with the outcome. They're going to mess with our expected outcome or what we would accept to be true. So, you know, if I'm going to walk through this wall, we all know people can't walk through walls, but they're going to change it you know, change our perception so that we're literally seeing something going on that would lead us to believe somehow they walked through that wall or we're busy trying to figure out how they did it. You know, I mean, mean, any sort of magic when it really comes down to it is there's some deception going on and they're taking advantage of how we pay attention, how we focus, how much we focus, where our focus is. And the reason I find this as a reasonable thing to study is I really do think this affects us in the bays and not really not just the bays. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, comebacks, right? And maybe too often the knee jerk reaction is it's some sort of negligence on the technician's part. And that is not denying that it absolutely could have been negligence on their part. Maybe even fundamentally, no matter what, it's negligence on their part. However, were the odds stacked against them? Were they really were going to have to defy some odds to not be negligent? And I don't think it's limited to just tech. It could be anybody and everybody working in that organization. So a little bit of homework, if you want, is uh, go to either Google or YouTube or whatever your favorite search engine is, whatever your favorite uh, video hosting app is look up a gentleman by the name of Apollo Robbins. Apollo Robbins. Two B's in the Robbins. They call him the gentleman thief. He's a pickpocket. He's also wrapped up now more in with law enforcement. Not that he's in trouble or serving time, but he's working with law enforcement on how to help catch criminals, figure out what they're doing, how they're doing it, who's likely to get targeted, stuff like that. And then he's also working with, we'll just say the scientific community in the world of the brain, which could be and does encompass psychology, neurobiology, that type of things. He's working with them, taking his experience and knowledge, if you will, and we'll say knowledge at least years ago, less academic and more, I want to say practical. I don't know if that's technically the right word though, but he could do it and he could show you what he's doing, but not necessarily explain it. And now he is much better at that. Some of those more later videos are a lot more technical in nature about what's going on in our brains while he's doing what he's doing and demonstrating. He can even tell you exactly what he's going to do. And then while you're armed with this knowledge, he still does it. Sounds a lot like Larry Bird. If you guys follow basketball, he would tell the other team what he was going to do and then he would do it. But in this case, he's explaining, I'm going to take your watch. I'm going to get your cell phone. I'm going to get your wallet. He's not going to keep it. Demonstration purposes only, but he does it. And it's all because 
he can grab your focus. He can grab your attention and direct it where he needs to away from what he's accomplishing with the pickpocketing. Same with the, you know, any kind of card tricks, the sleight of hand. A lot of it has to do with directing your focus. Where this is tying up is many, many times I go to management seminars. The discussion is about distractions. What are the distractions in the shop? Are the technicians answering the phones? How often are certain techs, I don't want to say bothered, bothered, probably a horrible word really, but how many times is their services or consultation required to another tech or a service advisor or the manager? They're taken away from the job. And honestly, just going off what we're talking about right now, they don't have to be physically taken away from the job. They can just have their focus taken away. And now they have to try to get back into that groove again or where was I? What was I doing? And it takes time. And if time is something that's leveraged on them, and this isn't, you know, anti flat rate, it's just a, a repercussion, right? There's whatever we do, <laughs> there's repercussions. We haven't figured out anything perfect yet. So don't think I'm ganging up on any single one strategy of uh, compensation. But time is something, you know, valuable to us, not just, I mean, time should be valuable to us and period. But it's one of the things we have to sell is our time. And therefore, it's important to everybody to make the best use of that. And if they're taken away from uh, a job or their focus is taken away, it takes time to get back on track. So like I said, Apollo works with the scientific community, with law enforcement. And a lot of what he's showing off with the ability to move your attention to do what he needs to do um, for entertainment or in the case of a, uh, a real deal pickpocket uh, to take uh, things of value off your person. This is backed up by scientific studies. There's a, a common one that's often referenced for good reason. Like most uh, scientific studies, if you start looking into scientific studies, the initial study a lot of times isn't so important as the follow-up studies. A case in point, a little bit of a tangent here. Not too awful long ago, you may have re- you may remember seeing a bunch of uh, news headlines. Einstein was wrong. Einstein was wrong. Uh, some repercussions, if you will, or consequences of his theories is that there is a universal speed limit. It's the speed of light in a vacuum, uh, or C. These headlines were basically saying that is false, that uh, the speed of light is not the speed limit because these scientists in a study found neutrinos regularly breaking the speed of light. A bunch of hoopla really on the media side, not so much in the scientific community because the reality is, is you sit back and wait. Or if you're a researcher, Yet you grab that paper and now you try to reproduce that experiment and get those results. And that's where it fell apart. Nobody could reproduce it because when they went and did their research on their test, they found that there was some issues with their equipment. I think it was sensor alignments, but it could have been just faulty uh, detectors. But that's a little bit beside the point. The thing is with this study on uh, attention, and really not so much attention as much as distractions, the cost of distractions, the cost in time, 
they found in this initial study, which is then supported by many, many follow-up studies, what they found is the average distraction costs somebody 23 minutes, 15 seconds. Think about that for a second. That's insane. Granted, we have to qualify a distraction. Some distractions don't cost that much time simply because the distraction might be very much related to what you're doing. But the distractions that require you to turn away, shift your focus away, access other parts of your uh, brain or memory, change a subject matter, if you will. Maybe you have to go talk to a customer or talk on the phone, something of that nature. You know, I think this is fairly common, not just in auto repair, but I think a lot of businesses, uh, they have those real impromptu meetings. Hey guys, let's have a quick meeting. Hey everybody, gather around. I got, got something to talk to you about. They throw people off towards that maximum. You know what I mean? Uh, much closer to the 25 minutes you know, or 23 minutes, 15 seconds. Then somebody that's approaching you while you're doing what you're doing, but what, what they're talking to you about or you know, the nature of that distraction is more or less related to what you're doing. Then getting back in gear is not such a big deal. There's other studies often quoted. Uh, this is just kind of, there's little to do with what I'm talking about, but more so just to, to qualify some of it. You may see people uh, put up some studies that uh, the average attention span nowadays has dropped, that it used to be 12 seconds. And now recently, or more recently, it's down around eight seconds, which is you know, a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Uh, it turns out, kind of like what I was mentioned before with the Einstein and this uh, speed limit uh, of being the speed of light, follow-up studies are finding they're debunking that. And attention is a lot to do with other things like distractions, interest, stuff like that, right? So the point of that, uh, of talking about this, is that what Apollo Robbins is doing, what the magicians are doing, pick your favorite magician, what they're doing is they are kind of taking control of your attention and providing you distractions, forcing you to do things to take away your concentration, really, of what's going on and focusing that concentration where they want you to. Or at least they're figuring out where your concentration is, especially if it's more like a one-to-one type of a thing, where your attention is. And then they can kind of do what they need to do in the shadows, if you will. I just feel like this is further, further evidence, further reason to go about as, as management, as ownership, to go through the shop and just observe and try to look for anything that would be a distraction, unneeded distraction. We're never going to eliminate it. You can't eliminate distractions, but what can we do to minimize the distractions? And what trainings could we do? What are some things that we could add that, you know, maybe helps minimize the repercussions of that taking away or refocusing of attention? Maybe it's some whiteboards that are available to the techs. Or maybe they can use some sort of note-taking app on their uh, devices. Let's just say the shop has uh, DVIs and each tech has a tablet. You know, hey, so-and-so, can I borrow you a sec? Do you want to look at this? Uh, do you want to come up here and talk to this customer? Blah, blah, blah. 
hey, before they leave, make it a standard practice of giving, leaving themselves a note. They write something on a whiteboard. Do they do something voice to text or they leave themselves a message that now they can come back and maybe be in a better position to pick up where they left off and just kind of try to minimize, like I said, that the repercussions of having that loss of focus, that loss of attention that's very easily done, uh, very easily lost, very easily redirected. And, you know, hey, don't forget to torque this bolt. Don't forget to release this tensioner. Don't forget whatever. I, I think it's just a lot of things that we do, no matter what, just even in life, is stacking the odds. How can I stack the odds in my favor? How can I stack the odds in my employee's favor? How can I stack the odds in the shop's favor uh, to get the desired result? If you get bored, I would just strongly urge you to uh, look up just how, how does pickpocket work? Behind the scenes, maybe some explanations of magic tricks, especially ones that involve deception, sleight of hand, um, changing in focus or attention. Really, go look up this uh, Apollo Robbins. Seriously, he's got TED Talks. Uh, he's on a TV show that I've, I've never seen the show before, uh, but I've seen clips now on YouTube that uh, Brain Games. It's called Brain Games. So maybe you've seen this guy before, but maybe now look at it from a different light. Maybe look at it from a slightly different perspective. Like now, look at him as an instructor of some sort showing you why it'd be very important, very well worth your time uh, as a manager, as a shop owner, as a lead tech, a shop foreman, to remove as many distractions as reasonably possible. And the distractions that can't be removed have some kind of op, uh, procedures in place to minimize any kind of bad things, really, repercussions to the uh, loss of focus. That is what I think we can learn from pickpockets and magicians. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you do some research and let me know what you think. Find me on Facebook, Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z, part of the Aftermarket Radio Network. I look forward to uh, talking to you guys again. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.